Welcome to Life Today Live. Hope you've had a great week. Looking forward to the weekend. I know I am, but there's something we're going to talk about on this Friday, uh, if you're watching us live, or whenever you happen to pick this up. Here's my question for you. Uh, Has your life felt a little out of control lately or ever? I think we're all there, obviously. I remember, you know, 2020, coming into the office, going, if I touch this door handle, am I going to get <laughs> deathly sick? I mean, there's just sometimes, uh, if, if you ever felt out of control, the pandemic was the time where you realized, yeah, I got no control over certain, certain things. Well, what do, we, what do we do about that? What can we control? What, what can we not control? What, what should we try to control and have influence on? What, what should we let go? It's one of those, it's the tension we live in in this life. Today's guest has a book about that, just came out last month. It is called The Cost of Control, and the author of that is Sharon Hottie Miller, and she joins us today. So I invite you to be a part of the conversation as well. If you're watching this live, chat is open. Otherwise, leave a comment uh, if this blesses you. Always read those and enjoy those. Sharon, great to have you on Life Today Live. It's great to be with you. So um, looking down the run sheet of questions that they provide, I'm going to go with I'm going to go, oh, wait, this one's not in here. Are you a control freak? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, actually, if you had asked me three years ago if I struggled with control, I would have said no. Okay. So I've never, I've actually never thought of myself as a control freak, funny enough. So where, why, why this topic then? What happened to make you want to go, I'm going to write a book about control? <laughs> right. So a few years ago, you already mentioned it. There was a little thing that happened called the pandemic. And I was watching how the people in my church were responding to it. And I was watching how Christians online were responding to it. And realizing that the pandemic was exposing a huge relationship with control and idolatry of control within the church. This was something that, as I've researched, realizing it's something that our culture is actually nurturing in us. And so I saw this response and thought, okay, this is a major discipleship issue that we need to be confronting in the church. But at the same time, I am someone who my best teaching, my best writing comes out of conviction over my own sin. And so when I noticed all of this, I thought, well, you know, I want to dig into this. I want to see what's really going on. But maybe I should also turn the focus on myself and, and, and just consider, you know, if this is also a struggle in my own heart. And, you know, spoiler alert. I do struggle with control, but but part of what I discovered is that I I didn't see it in myself because I had a very narrow definition of of how we struggle with control, the ways that we seek to control in our lives. And once I was able to expand that, I realized, oh, this is actually a huge issue in my own life as well. Yeah, uh, I think I think it's the human condition. What's that? The uh, the old serenity prayer, I think, is, is what they call it which is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think that's where most of us live, whether consciously or not. Um, 
Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. It, it is the human condition. And it's, it's one of those things where it's not do you struggle with control? It's just how, how do, do you, you struggle with control? Yeah. And part of the reason I can say very confidently that you struggle with control is because that was ground zero of the original sin. When Adam and Eve eat of that fruit, that is them reaching for more control, more power, more influence that God had given them. And in that moment, what happened was they kind of rewrote the, the DNA of creation and every one of their spiritual descendants, which is all of us, mm. is doomed to repeat that moment again and again and again. Anytime we reach for control, to control something that God has not given us control over, we are reenacting that moment. So how do we, how do we know what we should control? Because I think the, the flip side of that is responsibility. You know, um, how do we know the difference between mm -hmm. the right things to try to control and the things that we shouldn't? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the distinctions that I make in the book is the difference between control and agency. And I say that God has not given us control over much of anything beyond really ourselves, but he has given us agency. And I define agency, which is kind of a psychological term, but I think it's really helpful for describing what we see in Genesis 1 and 2, which is the power to influence ourselves and to influence our circumstances. And the operative word there being influence, not control. And what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that before the fall, before they reach for control, is that Adam and Eve, they're not in charge of the garden. So, so they're not in control of the garden. But does that mean that they're puppets? Does that mean that they're prisoners? Does that mean that they're robots? No. God actually commissions them with tremendous influence and power and authority. And so kind of the arc of the book is, is I start out by dissecting you know, why do we struggle with control? How do we struggle with control? What is it costing us? Because in the same way that we reenact that moment, we also reenact its consequences. But in the final section of the book, I turn back to Genesis 1 and 2 and, and ask, well, you know, what power, what influence did God give Adam and Eve? And, and he gave them, you know, tremendous influence over a lot of different areas of their lives and in the world. And so that, this is a very long answer to your question, but we don't have control over much. We we have self-control, and even that is is broken by sin. Mm. But we do have tremendous agency. And so the question for me is, how do we put down the power that God has not given us to pick up the power that he has? Do you think, so when you use, like, you look at the biblical terms, like, to take dominion over the mm -hmm. earth, uh, and the ideas of stewardship, and, you know, mm -hmm. Jesus parables about being good stewards mm -hmm. that's not a full control thing uh it, is there some maybe balance in the partnership because oh yeah a hundred percent okay yeah exercising dominion is not the same thing as having control okay you know th there's we cannot impose our will on the world around us and what's really, really important to keep in mind, too, is that we are not designed to, that, that this is something that God himself does not do, that, that on the one hand, we often say that God is in control. And by that, we mean that God is sovereign, you know, that, that we can trust him. 
But at the same thing, same time, we do not say that God is controlling. Hmm. And I think that distinction is really important. Again, going back to Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God is in charge, but he is not micromanaging Adam and Eve. Hmm. He still honors their free will. And we have to, as, as Christians, we have to hold those things together, that God's sovereignty and humanity's free will. And so that's why we must not try to control people, because when we do, we are doing something that God himself does not do. Okay, see, now, now you, you brought it down to a daily granular level when you said control people, because I mm-hmm. think this is where we get into, I, I you know, I don't think anybody's been like, hey, brother, you're 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 farming that farm just a little bit with too much control. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's in the relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where do you see some maybe some bad habits being formed when we get controlling mm-hmm. in our relationships? Yeah, well, I want to name, first of all this is where the rubber meets the road because you know as you said there are some things that we you know when i'm stuck in the starbucks line for 15 minutes and i feel out of control and i invent you know an entire storyline about the person who's ordering eight drinks because (laughs) i feel out of control you know that's that's a very low stakes example of feeling out of control but when we're talking about your adult child who is walking down a path towards destruction, maybe they're struggling with addiction, whatever it is, Mm. that is a whole other scenario in in which I wanna name your desire for them to be whole, your desire to snatch them back, none of that is wrong. But at the same time, knowing that we actually cannot control people. And you know, you mentioned the the serenity prayer at the beginning and with Al-Anon, which is a support group for loved ones of alcoholics, one of their core axioms is you cannot control this person. Mm. And that is so so painful to accept and for me personally, there was definitely a season in my life where I felt like accepting that was settling or giving up, you know, saying I can't control them was, was me, you know, giving up on them essentially. And so there's so many different ways that, that we try to control people and, and we think we're doing it for their own good. Um, for me personally, a big way that I try to control people that I didn't even realize is, is verbally, like I'm very verbal, I'm a, I'm a communicator, that's my job. And so I don't have to raise my voice, I don't have to be aggressive, I don't have to yell, but I know how to push people in a way that is actually controlling. And as I say again and again in the book, what we see from Genesis 3 is anytime you try to control something you cannot control, it will come with a cost. It, it just will. We are reenacting Genesis 3 again and again. And that was my experience. Even though I wasn't yelling, I wasn't manipulating, I wasn't coercing, but I was trying to engineer an outcome and it always cost me that relationship. Mm. And and that's the thing that I now really, it really sobers me when I'm thinking through, is it worth it to me in trying to control this person to break my relationship even more? And that's a very different question. Yeah, uh, and, and oftentimes, I mean, I'm not accusing you of this because you just said you weren't doing it, but you see the manipulation 
mm-hmm. and that's sort of a big red flag that someone mm-hmm. someone is trying to control you uh, and that that gets ugly real quick um, what do you what do you do with that when you when you sense that in yourself what do you do with that and then we'll get to other people mm-hmm. well again I think part of the reason we justify it is that we think we know what is right and maybe we do yeah but many times we don't <laughs> but either way is it doesn't work and and one of the ways that i've seen this play out is in my own marriage because my husband and i we lead a church together and so we're often making decisions together mm-hmm. for the church And I don't know if you can relate to this or anyone else listening, but sometimes we don't agree. Maybe we're the only married couple that sometimes disagrees, but sometimes we disagree. I I can assure you that that my wife is always right. And so I agree with her all the time. (laughs) You're a good husband. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so we, we disagree sometimes. And we're disagreeing about big decisions sometimes for the church, mm. you know, so, so these are like kingdom questions that we're, <laughs> you know, turning over. And I'm thinking in my mind, I know what is the right answer. I know what we should do. And so again, I'm not yelling at him. I'm not manipulating him. I'm not threatening him, but I know what to say to get him to make the decision that I think that he should make. <laughs> and what I'm really doing is, is controlling him. And what I've, seen over time is that every time I've really forced my way, my marriage has taken a hit. And so now the question that I ask, and, and this has been incredibly helpful to me, is to ask the question, is making this decision, getting this decision with the church worth the cost that my marriage is going to pay for this? You know, the cost to my, my intimacy with my husband. And Honestly, 10 times out of 10, the answer is no. (laughs) My marriage is is more important than that. And so that's actually been really helpful to me. So when you talk about cost, uh, and and you just gave a a great example of it, um, are there other costs that come up that, that someone may realize, you know, maybe the problem is I'm trying to control a situation or people and what I'm feeling, whether it's anxiety or something, is part of that cost. And maybe the solution isn't to control more, mm-hmm. to yeah. create more tension and anxiety. You know, are there some kind of markers of mm-hmm. your? Yeah, well, 100%. Another major, major cost, and you just named it, and it is in the subtitle, is anxiety, that it actually costs our mental health Mm. whenever we try to control something that we cannot control. Mm. And we experience this somewhat intuitively, again, in in very, like, low-stakes way, like, my my middle son, we, we live in a home where we have a million Legos, like everywhere. There's Legos everywhere. You just, it's like very hazardous. And my middle son, I'll watch him. He's still working on his, his fine motor skills. And so I'll watch him try and like force these Legos apart and he can't get it. And I'm watching just the blood vessels in his forehead popping out as he's trying to force this thing that that he can't get apart. And that's, you know, that's basically a picture of of us trying to control something we cannot control. I can see his anxiety raising. But again, we experience this in in much more dire situations. 
the problem is what happens is we blame all of our anxiety on the thing, you know, like I feel anxious right now because yeah. of the decision that my loved one is making or because of the situation that I'm in. And that's partially true. But because of that, we miss the truth that we are also exacerbating our anxiety <laughs> by trying to control something <laughs> that we simply cannot control. Yeah, you know, I, I can relate to that. I don't tend to try to control people, I don't think, but it's like situations like Legos. It's almost that silly at times. Really frustrate me when I can't. Uh -huh. Anyway, all right. So this is the book we're talking about, The Cost of Control by Sharon Hottie Miller. And Sharon is, as she mentioned, uh, on staff. Her and her husband uh, run Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina, where she is the teaching pastor. What's your husband's title? Lead pastor. Lead pastor. Lead pastor mm -hmm. and teaching pastor. Uh, I like that. Let him lead the church and let you you teach him how to do it. That's a, that's a good. That's good. I like that. So here's here's a serious question. No. Uh, so it's obviously we need to start with ourselves. Self control is the dominion that we struggle with the most. The one that we have been given the most, I think, responsibility for. Mm -hmm. But we also deal with other people who are controlling, and mm -hmm. knowing how to deal with them can be very difficult because right. for all well for all sorts of reasons what what do you what's your take mm -hmm. on when you've got that controlling person in your life mm -hmm. yeah so going back to that distinction between control and agency in genesis 1 and 2 we see a bunch of different forms of agency so different forms of influence and power that adam and eve possess and one form of power that they actually have that that we wouldn't necessarily see as a form of power is living within limits, living within boundaries. Adam and Eve are the freest humans that any humans ever were. And it was not because of the absence of boundaries. It was actually because of the boundaries, honoring the right order of things that, that God is the one who is in control and not them. That was actually a huge source of their power, a huge source of their peace. And so one agency available to us is restoring those boundaries in our lives. And this plays out in so many different ways. Like, like one way that control plays out is actually through workaholism. And so having a boundary of Sabbath and, and rest and, mm -hmm. you know, boundaries about when you're off work and when you're on. But the way that this plays out with controlling relationships is going back to, again, the fact that you cannot control this person. You cannot change this person who is trying to control you. But what you can do is you can have boundaries with them. You can put space between you and them so that they cannot control you. And that's going to play out in a lot of different ways. But that's a that's a way for you to exercise influence in that relationship without trying to control them and return in a way that just completely breaks the relationship apart. I, I, I think that that may be the natural response when someone you feel someone controlling you're like, I'm going to control them back. You know, yeah. and I think it's out of frustration, oftentimes, mm -hmm. because you don't know what to do. Uh, and, th and that can be tough. So I, you guys are non-denominational church, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I have no idea the answer to, to this question, but do you think that there are maybe some, some theological kind of ideas that influence the way we act in either to over-control or, I mean, on the flip side, you could say to, to not really steward well, but I think you mm -hmm. know, dealing with more of the yeah. control. Do you think we have maybe some theological baggage at times that may not be healthy? 
Yeah, so I actually have a whole chapter looking at, there, there's a section of the book where I look at different forms of control. You know, a very obvious one is, is power. Another pretty obvious one is shame, how we can use shame or, or people use shame on us to control us. But one less obvious form of control is theology. And theology is also, you know, you think of cults. Right, <laughs> in a, sure, in a cult, you know, they're yeah. using theology to control their adherence. Sure. But one of the the dimensions of, of control that I look at is how we use it to help us simply feel in control. And the chief violator of this in the, in the realm of theology is prosperity theology. And anyone who is not familiar with prosperity theology, it's basically this idea that you earn God's favor and that if things work out for you, it's because God, you're favored by God because you have been a good Christian, you've been a good person. And if things don't work out, it's essentially God punishing you. That is what prosperity theology is. And what I look at in the book is how this is actually about control. Hmm. And a great example wow. to explain yeah. what I mean is when the disciples encounter the man born blind. And the first question they ask is, who sinned? <laughs> right. Who sinned? Right. You know, was it him? Was it his parents? Like, who did something wrong? And he's now being punished. This is prosperity theology. But what they're really doing is reckoning with their own vulnerability in an unpredictable world. Because they're looking at this and thinking, how can I make sure that does not happen to me? And so if I can blame this person for their own misfortune, then that means I am safe. That is about control. Mm, wow. And this plays out in so many different ways for, for my own self when I'm scrolling through social media and I see a story, like a really tragic story. The first thing my brain goes to is, well, maybe it's because of where they live or maybe it's because of how they parent or maybe it's because of this or because of this. And because I don't do those things, I am safe from this happening mm -hmm. to me. That That's a control response, but it's it's also a, kind of a very subtle form of prosperity theology. And I think we all really wrestle with it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I have some I have some friends that are firmly in that camp and <laughs> we've had lots mm -hmm. of arguments. I never, never really thought about that aspect of it. Uh, do you get into spiritual abuse at all? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. In the chapter on power, I look at different forms of power that we use to control. And one of those is, is spiritual power. And that is something that I will say as a, a pastor, I have been very chastened to to realize because with with pastors your every decision that you make because of your title god's name is also attached to it mm, right right and so whenever you think you are making a very gentle suggestion to someone in your church yeah. you might think i'm just nudging them but because of your position it can feel like a shove and I think sometimes we get into spiritual abuse where spiritual leaders are not adequately taking that into consideration. They're they're thinking, I'm just a regular human being. And it's it's no, there there's this freight of weight behind your influence and how 
important it is for spiritual leaders to take that seriously. So I, th I think you're being nice <laughs> because, you know, I've been around it long enough and I've, I've seen the ones that use the position uh, and even the way they phrase things um, to be like, no, you, you better, you better do what I say because this is God speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You've, yeah. You've suffered and much of that because that, that's. Yeah. And I mean, what I just said was more me speaking from my own conviction mm -hmm. about what I've seen in myself, because it is very easy to point fingers and say, this person over here, look at what they're doing and, and completely ignore yourself. And that's so it, it's really important for me to confess in the ways that I have made mistakes in this area, but you're absolutely right. When, when someone fully thinks I, I have this kind of authority given by God and they don't understand that if they are wrong, that they could be breaking someone's relationship with God. If, if they are hurting someone, sinning against someone and attaching God's name to it, right. there is a kind of damage that is done that is not easily undone because all of the tools that God has given us to heal have now been broken, have now been sullied by that misuse of them. Yeah. And so that a hundred percent, I've seen that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Judy and others watching, I think she very politely told me, you just watch out for that plank while you worried about that speck over there in his eyes <laughs> at least that's that's what i felt the spirit going okay all right check yourself there don't don't get off on on, on getting down on others mm -hmm. this, this is for this is for me to take in and as well as for you um i want to ask you about your website because mm -hmm. it's not sharon miller or sharon hottie miller or even mm -hmm. the cost of control.com it is mm -hmm. she worships.com explain that mm -hmm. So some of that goes back to the inspiration for the first book that I wrote called Free of Me, Why Life is Better When It's Not About You. And that was a journey of realizing how much of my insecurity was not about low self-esteem, but was about self-focus mm. and how much of my insecurity was simply centering myself instead of centering Christ and just the freedom of living a life of worship. And that is a message that even though we're here talking about my latest book, that book free of me, I still walk in the freedom of that mm. every single day. And so that is the inspiration for the title of the website as well, is that it, worship is freedom. Love it, love it. This has been good. This has been, I think, healthy for anyone listening uh, and, and check check that control. Because again, the dominion we absolutely are responsible for is self and mm -hmm. self-control. And mm -hmm. self-control scripturally is less about self-control and more about Holy Spirit control if we really get mm -hmm. down to it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I appreciate, I appreciate your time. Is there anything you wanna add before I let you go? I would just say, I, I've alluded to this already, but part of why we struggle with control is that we live in this post Genesis three world, but we were created for Genesis one and two. And the pain that we feel and our urge to control is very often us longing for that security and mm -hmm. longing for that stability. 
And that in itself is not sin. That reflects the heart of your father in heaven. He put that desire in you. Mm. And at the end of the day, that is ultimately why he sent Jesus was to restore what we cannot through our efforts of control. It's good. Good, good word, good reminder. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. It's good to be with you. Check out SheWorships.com. It looks just like that. SheWorships.com. And, of course, you can check out The Cost of Control wherever you get books. It is available now. And come back. I've got lots of great things in store coming up next week and into October. So we'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. always possible to do the will of God. He has given us the will to choose to come, come, to choose to bend our necks, to choose to bend our necks, and to choose to learn. It is always possible to do the will of God. Nobody can prevent you from doing the will of God.